<laughs> Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Sen Mums Career Club, a podcast exploring the highs and lows of trying to climb the career ladder whilst raising children with complex or additional needs. My name is Lisa Miller. I'm a journalist with three children. My eldest daughter Beatrix has a condition called Kabuki syndrome. She's under various medical and therapeutic specialists and attends a Sen school. Every week, I'm joined by a different guest to discuss work and ambition through the lens of special needs parenting. Today, I'd like to introduce Debs Aspland, an entrepreneur in the Sen space. She's the founder of coaching business Life As Planned, Space, the Society of Parent and Carer Entrepreneurs, an inclusive festival, Festability, among others. Debs has three teenage children who have a variety of special educational needs and disabilities, ranging from severe visual impairment, autism and speech and communication issues, to dyspraxia, hydrocephalus and epilepsy. Welcome, Debs. Hello. Thank you for having me. It always sounds worse on paper when people read it out. I sit there and think, oh, wow, yeah, I've got a lot going on. <laughs> yes. Uh, you you are what the kids might call an OG in this space of mums, careers and special educational needs. So I am really looking forward to absorbing some of your hard-won wisdom. I look at your CV, Debs, and starting out, you have some great roles in the travel industry before a career break. Yeah. So far, so common for, for working women having children. So tell me a little bit about your work life and your ambitions pre-children. Okay, so I'd worked in travel predominantly from leaving college and I was in a job that I really enjoyed, travelled extensively, um, had basically the type of job of dreams really. Um, I thought it was really stressful (laughs) and then I had children. But during that time I was sort of working my way up the ladder and you know there was so much potential for me within the industry. I was at the point where I was being approached and headhunted and and it was all very exciting. Mm. So, and then things changed. And then things changed. So, when was that and, and how did they change when um, your eldest son, Kane was born? When my eldest son was born, my, my initial plan had been to return to work, um, not with the same company, um, but to go back and work within travel anyway. And we'd had everything set up as to how childcare was going to work. And then during my maternity leave, Kane was diagnosed with hydrocephalus. And that's excess fluid on the brain. And so required brain surgery when he was five months old. And that changed everything. Because from then on, we had so many appointments and so many commitments. And I was his mum. And I wanted to be with him and wanted to know what was going on when we went to physio and everything because initially they thought he had something called dandy walker syndrome but thankfully he didn't but there was so many appointments and then came was only he wasn't quite one when I fell pregnant again um and that was a real shock um came was a shock came wasn't a, a planned child he's a much loved and much I I really couldn't imagine life without him but he definitely wasn't planned and I found out I was pregnant and then we found out it was twins and they arrived three months early 
and as a result Jamie developed something called retinopathy of prematurity and it comes in five stages um, and stage two and three is fairly common in prem babies is where the retinas haven't developed enough um, there's been not enough oxygen or they've had too much oxygen um, and that can cause problems with the retinas as well um, because Rosie his twin sister had retinopathy stage three but he was a stage five with what they call stage five with pluses and basically what that means is his retinas hadn't developed and the bits that had developed had detached from his eye. So he, we knew he was going to be blind um, and that was really hard. My initial thing I remember thinking is, how do I tell him what stars are? Don't ask me why. I think it was they were born late in the year and we were sat outside when we'd come out after being told this and it was dark and I was looking at stars going, how am I going to tell him what a star is? Um and then with the amount of appointments that that brought, there was just no way on earth that I could find a company who would take me on and allow me all the time off that I needed. And so, as you can imagine, having three children, I mean, there's 14 months between them. So I had three children under 16 months at home. <laughs> so it was chaotic and trying to as you know yourself, when you have a child with additional needs, you have an influx of people and practitioners. Well, I was multiplying it by three and it was just, there was just, it wasn't feasible. So for the first few years, I just had to be mum. And that was, that was tough. That took away a huge part of my identity. I was Debs. I was known for being quite outspoken, quite bullshy and quite a lot of fun and suddenly I was this person who was absolutely emotionally, physically and mentally drained and that was hard. Gosh, I, I mean I think you know having three children so close together and so young you know even without any additional needs accounted for is you know a, a lot, such a lot. Um, so I completely understand you know where, where the time would go with that um I went back after maternity leave after years maternity leave with with B who's now six and it was always my plan we didn't get her genetic diagnosis until she was two and it, it, it was just always the plan you have a baby you take your maternity leave you go back to work and it had genuinely never occurred to me that that might not be the, the path that I would take, the route that I would take. And as it happens, it was the route that I took, but I did have a moment where we were looking for childcare for her, for a nursery for her. And she'd been missing her developmental milestones. So she'd gotten to a year old. She had a major hip surgery. She had hip dysplasia. And she had been in this big spiker cast. She was still in a brace. She wasn't sitting. She wasn't talking. You know, she wasn't crawling or, or, or mobile at all. And we were living in London at the time and it was, you know, a bit of a bun fight for a good nursery place. There was a great place right by where we lived, really wanted to get her in there. And, I, you know, I put on my my work hat and I sort of approached getting her this nursery place as I would as achieving something in work. You know, I was being very diligent. I was emailing a lot. I was making myself very visible and very present. And 
a place opened up for her at just the right time. And I hadn't mentioned any of her additional needs at this point. I'd just been saying, you know, I've got this one year old, I'd like her to start then. And I had this moment where we went in to, I had to arrange to speak to them because I had to tell them all the additional support she needed. And I had this moment where I felt like they don't have to take her. It's a private nursery. They can take anyone they want. And she is a lot of extra work. She needs a lot of extra support. She needs equipment. She needs a lot of extra stuff. And they could just say no. And I remember going to this meeting and it was really the first time that I had been faced with that possibility that I am her mum. And just because I want to work doesn't mean I can work, you know, just because I'm proud of my career and I think I'm good at it and it's what I want to do. Like, it is not the most important thing anymore. She is, absolutely. And you know, as it happens, it, it worked out. They were wonderful. They were absolutely wonderful with her. Um, and, and she did get that place. But it was very, it was a big moment because I'd never had to face that before. Yeah. And we had a very different scenario. When I looked at nursery for Kane, um, we went to about four or five and none of them would even consider him without some additional funding. And we were getting... This was my first introduction to it. I, We'd approached the board that provided the funding and I got a phone call on the afternoon and it was like, uh, no, sorry, they're not going to give it to him. And I said, well, what about the others? Have they been turned down? And they said, yeah, um, there's only one got through. And I said, so what are the other parents going to do? And they said, well, most of them will just accept it because you're right at the beginning mm. of the journey. But I did what you did. I went back and I went, "Mm, hang on. Um, So I wrote a very strong email to my MP. And because he was the only person I could think of. And thankfully for us, he was a patron of a local hydrocephalus society, which I didn't know. Um, And he got involved. And I had a person from the local authority come to us and sit in the house and said to me, what is it you actually want, Mrs. Aspland? And I said, oh, what well, I want are three children who can go to a nursery without any additional needs funding required. But I can't have that. But what I need and what you can help me with is. And I found out that the only way you got anywhere was learning to treat it like a business and having to try and cut the emotions off. And that's a challenge. But thankfully, everything I'd ever done in the past had all helped me because I'd started off my very first job was a work experience at a solicitor's. So I typed up legal documents. So I had to learn legal jargon and understand when it would make sense and when I heard it wrong because it was when we, you know, dictation and you typed off a... um, But all of those things helped because they meant I could then start reading legislation and understanding what it actually Mm. meant and interpreting it correctly and realising how it could be used. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's it's hard. Um, and you feel like you've failed. And you also feel like you're asking for something because it would just make your life a bit easier. And there's that whole guilt, you know, if I went because I wanted to go and try and do something... So I initially started with just like running little groups and then sort of gradually sort of registered a charity. And then I registered, what I've found I'm very good at is seeing gaps and 
getting things started and getting them going and then moving on and finding another gap. Um, but all of my background was things that had helped me to do that. So in my misspent youth, I was an 1830 <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> the less said about it, the better. But the one thing that taught me was to be able to stand up in front of a whole group of people and not worry what they thought of you. And I was selling them trips. What I was selling these people when I was going to meetings was that they needed to fund and pay for my child. And that mentality really helped. Um, so, yeah, I think it's people don't appreciate, I think, the challenges that are involved and the skills you have to use. And I always, I think the reason I do everything I do now is because I'm very aware that I'm very fortunate in that my background, my work experience, my connections within that all helped me to be able to make sure I could advocate for my child to the nth degree. Whereas I was meeting families who had no idea what the legislation interpreted it. And so I started, everything I have done has always been around making it better for parent carers. That's wonderful. Um, you know, that support is is so essential because we all go into this very naively. I certainly did. I remember filling out the, the DLA form for, for B for the first time, the disability living allowance. And we got rejected. And I remember getting the rejection letter and thinking, oh, cool, maybe she's not as disabled as we thought. <laughs> like, these people are the experts, surely. Like, they know more than us about disability. We don't know anything. So, great, maybe this is a good thing. And, of course, you know, as we got further into that world, there were people saying, no, you know, she absolutely is entitled to this. She should have it. And, of course, what we had done is what we always do. And you put a brave face on it. And we're like, well, yes, our child, you know, can't do this, this and this. But she can do this. And she's starting to do this. And, you know... And she's a really, you know, amazing, wonderful, unique person. But that's not what the form is for, is it? It's not for that picture of your child. It's no. talking about your child's disabilities. And that is just really, really hard to do. And until you are in this world, you just can't really understand. Like you say, you have to approach it like a business. It's it's such a different, different thing to people's normal normal quote unquote normal parenting experience yeah. oh it, absolutely and having been through it with Kane, you'd have thought it would have been easier by the time it got to the twins but to give you an understanding when you have a child who's born blind you there's a real here in kent there was a real network set up and it was like so i was inundated at the beginning with support and I remember one of the people talking to me about DLA and I was like oh yeah he's blind that's a disability yes okay so they helped me and then she said to me well what do you get for Kane and I said oh well, we don't and she went will you turn down and I said well no because he's not disabled and she went he's got hydrocephalus and I was like yeah but and I think also as a parent if it's your first child you don't have mm. anything to compare it to so you're sort of like, I didn't realise that, you know, we put everything initially down to his hydrocephalus, but he was just turned, so let me think, the twins were born in the October, so Cain would have been 14 months, 
And it was the following March he was diagnosed with autism because we'd noticed huge changes around the time that the twins were born. But we put it down to the fact that everything had changed. Suddenly I was at the hospital all day and my husband was at home and sometimes he was at the hospital all night. And it was like all this changing routine. We hadn't even considered autism. And a few people had sort of mentioned the word and I'd sort of gone, I know it's his hypercephalus. And it wasn't that I was in denial. I just didn't think that that was the thing. Um, And so when we got that diagnosis, it was a bit like, right, okay, um, right, so what do I do with this? And what does it change? But yeah, we went through, you know, the the whole trying to get them into the right places and because there's nobody really there to navigate you apart from other parents. And in some ways it's a, I wouldn't say it's easier uh, because I don't think it's ever easy. But I think social media helps because there's a lot more information and a lot more groups and there's a lot more parents sharing information. But I also think that can be a negative because there's parents sharing information that isn't accurate. It is a very challenging full-time role and trying to balance any work. So like I said, initially I set up groups and charities and CICs, but they were things I could do that... A, they weren't paid, um, but they also meant I got back into a work environment and I felt like I had an identity other than mum, yeah. you know. So, and, and I love being mum and my kids are amazing, but in the same way that I don't define my children by the disability, I don't want to be defined by the label of mum, I have more to offer. Randomly, I was... Doing some research, we'd been approached. There was a thing called DCATCH, Disabled Children's Access to Childcare. It was a government-funded research um, thing. And the woman who was operating it for this area, who was asking families, came to meet me. And I'd brought together a group of families for her to meet. And we just got chatting. And she was the first person who gave me paid employment. She said, I need to deliver some training I I do all this training to lots of people who work with people with disabilities I think it'd be great if you could come and talk to them and that was the first thing and I remember it had to be a Saturday because Chris was at home and I was so nervous but standing up once I got there it's like do you know what I've stood up in front of a drunken rugby team before now and (laughs) sell things I can do this um and that's where it all started is to hang on I can do this and I can get paid um And that was a real, that was an eye-opener because I hadn't expected that. And so now, I mean, now I do so many different roles. Um, Some of it, like my festibility, I do that because my kids wanted to go to a festival that was fun and inclusive and we couldn't find one. Um, So we now put one on. Um, And I don't get paid for that, but I love every minute of it. Um, And I love that as well because on the day... People don't think of me as mum. I'm Deb's the festival organiser, which is is really it's quite cool. Um, my youngest son said to me once, about a couple of about a year or so ago, he goes, I was talking to my mates, and you know, none of their mums put festivals or anything on. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, so yeah, but I now I I have paid employment. I'm self-employed 
it was the only way I could make it work. Because like you said earlier, my children are always going to be my priority. And every time we seem to have got level and know where we're going, something else pops up. So epilepsy was new to us. That arrived on our door just over 12 months ago. And we had no signs, no history, nothing that had... And it just... He had his first tonic-clonic seizure and scared the absolute pants off us. Um, So we spent the last year trying to get upright again from that. But we have just passed. On Sunday was a year since he had his last seizure. So everything's working, thankfully. (laughs) It's awful, isn't it? You don't want to say it in case you jinx anything. That's wonderful. That's really exciting. Let's take a short break. Before we go into part two of the show, I'd like to give a shout out to our sister podcast, Baby on the Brain. Join Stylist Magazine's Felicity Thistlethwaite as she takes a mainstream look at the big parenting issues, from finding your identity after children to combating sleep deprivation. It's an informative listen, packed with expert views, lively debate and laugh-out-loud moments. Discover Baby on the Brain from Stylist Magazine, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Debs, um, you mentioned their festivality and uh, one of your many roles now as as a festival organiser. That's one of the big um, brands, I guess, that you've created that you work on. And there are a few others, aren't they? Why don't you tell tell me a little bit about the businesses that you've set up in the Sense space? Okay, so the ones I work on now are Life As Planned, which was just a play on my surname. Um, And it's always been a standing joke. I have every planner there is known to man. And I kept buying them, trying to find the perfect planner. Um, But as a mum with my children, I knew there was a thousand one things I had to remember and keep it together. And I couldn't find anything. And I'd done the bullet journal part. And that was great, except I found I was having to make the templates up time and time again. And so one weekend, I just sat at my computer and I created a basically printed planner with all the templates in that I needed. So who we saw, why we saw them, when we last saw them, um, you know, what medication, um, who did I need to chase for anything? What was the meetings coming up? When did the last meeting happen? Did they do what they say they were going to do? Had I made a note of what they said they were going to do at the meeting? Had that referral gone through? Um, you know, Even silly things like gifts, because all I ever get is at Christmas, what can I get him? <laughs> and so it was having a place where I could just write down anytime any idea came up, it's like, I've got somewhere to write that down. And so I created this and it was like, oh, I was in bliss. And I made myself a fun uh, cover that just said, only my children get to call me mum. And um, I'd gone into a workshop and there was other parents there. And one of them went, I love that. Where did you get that? And I went, I made it. And they were like, oh, can you make me one? I'll pay you. And I came home and I was laughing to my husband, making this other one. And then within a couple of days, I'd had a few phone calls and messages that would really. And then I said to his husband, I said, this could work. Because this is something that I can get the children involved in when they're older, if they want to, because it, could be a family-run business that they are part of. You know, they can all print and bind. They can cut paper. Um, there's lots of different things they could do. And so we started working 
on that, we, we came up with lots of silly, fun covers, things like Expert by Experience and Just Keep Swimming. And yes, I'm one of those parents and lots of silly, um, jokey things. But the planners, we launched them, I think it was in November. And we've kept the price really low because I, I mean, I've spent far too much money on planners. If my husband knew exactly what I'd spent on planners and stationery, I think he'd divorce <laughs> me. But I wanted them to be affordable. I wanted it to be something that could be a Christmas gift. It was a stock. So we sell everything for under £10. And um, we we were inundated. And like every night it just became this like little sort of line of <laughs> production going on in our sitting room. Um, but it was brilliant. The feedback was amazing. So then we introduced, we, we were listening to parents. They were coming to us going, do you know, I'd really like that. Could you do a seizure tracker? Now, at the time, like I said, I knew nothing about epilepsy. So I went to a friend whose son does have um, epilepsy. I said, what do I need to put in here? So wrote it all down, produced something, sent it to her, said, does that work? Love it. So we, we sold those. Then there was like behaviour and reactions trackers. Then there was like meeting journals. So you could just keep all your meetings in one place and think about the questions before you went and be prepared a bit more and... And so it just developed. Um, and then from that, I was like delivering coaching to families who were really struggling to just get organised. So we produced a download that was it's free and it's still on my website on how to overcome paperwork overwhelm because we've all got it. You know yourself how many papers and reports and copies of everything you get. So that, again, was just all the things I'd learned over the years to keep on top of all the paperwork. I would say that you know you're a child, you're a parent of a child with dis disability. The, the reality is the day you have to buy the filing cabinet because the folder doesn't work anymore, and you've expanded beyond anything, and you need a filing cabinet. And so that sort of grew from there. But then, as I was talking to parents, um, more and more were coming to me, and it was they wanted to do something other than be mum. And now they've got everything down out of their head onto this notebook. They were like, a little bit of time because I know where everything is. So I'm not looking for it. And so I found that for the last year or so, I've spent so much time helping mums to sort of navigate different ways or, you know, just how to how to do an invoice, how to find work, how to give a presentation, how to give a keynote speech. What's the difference? How to give a presentation virtually. And again, it was a friend said to me, you know you could do something with this. And it was like, yeah. But... And so, yeah, we created Space, which is a membership. And so, again, we've kept it really cheap at £10 a month. And everyone keeps telling me, you could charge so much more. Yeah, I could. But you know what? I need it to be accessible to those who haven't got a clue um, and have no money. And what we've also done is I've approached some organisations that I do consultancy work with and they are funding some spaces for a year for me as well. So I've got some spaces funded for those who £10 a month is actually too much. Um, but that's lovely. And seeing the people coming through and joining and just them starting to understand. I mean, we've started off like with things like time management. How do you balance it all? How do you juggle? Um, because I do a podcast because that was something I was really fascinated by was how to keep yourself motivated, how to get up after a really, really bad day, how to keep all the plates spinning. And I think we're all different. And so I 
I've interviewed loads of different parent carers and said to them, tell me how you do it. And it's been really fascinating, sort of like, and everyone's different. There's some common themes, but the way people deal with, like, if they've had a really bad day, quite a few of the people I spoke to were runners. I'm not a runner. And I was like, but it really worked for them. And then there was others who were like, you know, I just go and sit in Tesco's. I sit in Tesco's in the car park on my own with a book and a coffee and it helps. And so from that, we actually produced a training workshop that I deliver for free once a month to parents, which is all about different ways to get yourself back up. We used to call it resilience and then it became like a naughty word because local authorities started using resilience as if your child is more resilient, our goal, that's our goal i.e. when your child's more resilient we don't have to fund them um so resilience became this really so it's like right okay we'll change that throughout the last 10 years everything i've done is because i've heard somebody asking for it and more than one person and it's like right okay um so i've just literally last week i am passionately passionately in love with chat gpt um and i've got friends who've gone like what is it? And so I've wrote a little book, like an ebook, on how you can use it as a parent carer. What are the things you can get from ChatGPT that will make your life easier? And so I wrote a little booklet that I'm selling for a couple of pounds on my site. And it's I'm loving it at the moment because I'm getting so many messages from people going like, wow, this could like save me so much time. And so anything I can do that will help a parent carer have more time. And whether they use that time to set up a business or to try and get employment. Um, I mean, the big dream with my planner thing is that eventually we'll be selling enough that I can justify the cost of taking on parent carers and giving them that flexibility to work the hours that they can and know that it's, it'll work OK. So. But if I can give them that free time, and even if they use that free time initially to sit and watch a box set on Netflix for an afternoon, good. Because it'll give them the break they need and that sort of chance to recharge your batteries because we don't do it. We don't look after ourselves enough. We don't. And I, I think it's phenomenal that for you, you work in this space. So work for me is an escape from this space. Uh, this podcast really is me stepping into this space professionally for the first time um, and it's a really big thing for me um, so I'm I'm kind of in awe that you know that, that you have made this your business space um, the world of disability and supporting parent carers um, what what is your escape from all of this so my escape is the beach I am very fortunate I live 15 20 minutes from the beach and when I need to shuffle the cards as it were that's where I go and that's where I get the advice it's where I get clarity I can go I can either just sit on the beach or I can go for a walk I can listen to a podcast but I can guarantee on my way back I suddenly have solutions to things that have been like getting me and I've not been able to see past it but I think also for me it's been finding but my people because I think, I remember when Kane was first diagnosed, I was sort of like introduced to lots of parents who had children with 
autism. And I realised that apart from a few of them, I had nothing else in common with them. Um, and I think because we all deal with things differently and I'm very much a solutions person. So when it's not going how it should, I will find a way to make it work. And I, I, I've been told very straight by one parent that that was too much for her. She felt less because of my attitude. Um, and it was never that I expected her to do the same. She just, for her, it just didn't work. And that's fine. Um, I've always said if we were all the same, life would be very, very dull. But I think trying to find my people, they were the people who had my sense of humour, who didn't judge, who weren't competitive about who had it the worst. Um, and it it took me a long time. Um, and I went through lots of different friendships. Um, but now I do. I have this core group. And they all have some something to do with disability, whether they're a parent carrying themselves or whether they worked in the field and I've met them that way. But they understand. It's like you were saying, you know, we talked about earlier, people just don't get it. So having people who get it makes the biggest difference. But just the people I can have fun with. And now we just do one girls weekend a year. And it's only for one or two nights, depending on what we can all get away from. Um, and we we go, I mean, this year we went to a cheap caravan in Hull. <laughs> um, but it was so lovely. We just sat there. We didn't do anything. We don't go out and explore the world. We just stay in our pyjamas and eat and drink and just ha. <sighs> Um, but those are the things that get me through. It sounds like heaven. <laughs> I, would, I could go for that right about now. I find it really interesting, Debs, that, you know, there are so many spaces. You know, you say you, you as an entrepreneur, you find these spaces like there are so many spaces for you to move into. Right. Because there are so many gaps in this system and there are so many problems with the way this is all set up. And I also am struck by you know, you being surprised that you could be paid to do this because that's an interesting point, isn't it? It's like, oh, you've got a disabled child, so you're probably just going to do this for free. Yeah. You know, never mind that we all actually have bills to pay, children to feed, you know, yeah. all of that. But the amount of organisations who expect that, um, I remember right back at the beginning when I first got paid and then I was trying to find work away from this person who'd given me because it was brilliant and I still I'm still connected with her but there was only so much work she could give me so when I started trying to look elsewhere and I had I won't name them I had a local authority contact me and suggest we'd love you to come and um, talk and so I went and then I came back and I messaged them and I said who do I invoice and they were like oh well we'll pay you travel <laughs> and I was like seriously I've given up a whole day I've organized childcare I've done this I've done and it, yeah so I, I got very I you know I learned the hard way you ask beforehand um but it does surprise me um you know there's some very big organizations who will do like a week's se seminars and people go into different things and they'll say oh can you come and talk about this yeah I'd love to what's your budget oh we don't have one 
well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be the only person who's not paid. And and it was, it, I think sometimes it's about knowing your value. Um, and it, it took me a while to get that confidence to sort of go, no, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to do it, you know. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it, it amazes me, especially some of the bigger organisations who are supposed to be there for parent carers and their children, but they expect you to do it for nothing. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, sunshine. And it saddens me that some people do it and say, oh, I had to because I've got to get my story out and I've got, there's other ways to do it. Um, and that was part of what space was about as well, was let's find those new parents coming through who want to share their story, but let them know that actually you can do that and get paid to do it. You don't need to give all your time up for free because you're exhausted and we can help. You know, I can't go and do it for you. I'd love to, but I can give you the skills you need. It's one of those really difficult topics to talk about any any time, isn't it? Money. Um, I find it really interesting in this space because women caring for children with disabilities are less likely to be able to work for all of the reasons we've covered. But, you know, as a person in this space, I feel the need to make money more than ever because I have a dependent who will yeah. always be a dependent. I'm not going to raise her to 18. She's not going to go off to university and, you know, become self-sufficient. I am responsible for her, for her lifetime, you know, which I would hope exceeds my lifetime. So I need to leave something for her to make sure she's cared for. That's the kind of thing that keeps me awake at night. And, you know, so many of yeah. us, I'm sure. Um, and it's something that I don't think anybody, again, who's in this space would would even consider, you know, um, that we are going to be responsible for our children forever, beyond beyond our forever, hopefully. Um, yeah. So the need to work, the need to make money is, is even more pressing for us, but it is even more difficult. Uh, the challenges are unreal. Um, I mean, trying to find paid employment with flexibility. And some people do it. But they make so many sacrifices, and I know that there's an awful lot of heartache that goes with that. But trying to understand what you can do and how you can make money, but you know, if you if you can find a way, what we're trying to do with space is giving you options and saying, right, you could do that. But what we've also done is we've brought in people who like me who've set things up who are doing it but what they're getting from it is that connection because when you go to a networking event as a business mum nobody has an idea you know they're going oh we're doing a breakfast meeting at eight o'clock and you're like I have no time I can't do that um or we're going to all meet for drinks at seven tonight oh well we're not so but it's about finding ways to adapt and do it differently and so having that network of other parent care entrepreneurs has been really lovely because it, they really do help each other it's like I've got um, a friend Kelly bless her and she's forever like Deb can you just promote this yeah I'll send that for you right what about this? I'll put that on my website and so we're, we're totally supporting and she sells some planners but we're not in competition we totally get that we're all supporting each other um and and I think that's really invaluable. But I think, like we said, it's about finding your people. But I think with space, it's about what we're seeing is people finding their people in a different way. 
their children have very different disabilities and they may not have anything in common except that they're all trying to make a living. And it's been really nice seeing those connections happening as well. But the nice thing about everything I do is my target audience for everything are parent carers who totally get it when I have to cancel because something's happened. Um, and that's that's the only joy of doing what I do. I've tried working outside of the SEM world. Um, I tried just doing general coaching um, because I was nicknamed the Queen of Mojo Revival. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at sort of getting people back up and going, come on, come on, we can do this. And I tried general coaching, life coaching and sort of encouragement and performance management. But just, yeah, my, my heart wasn't, I don't get the same buzz and satisfaction as I do when I'm working with parent carers. From your extensive experience, what are the most important changes in your opinion, whether in terms of government policy or by employers or just society at large, what are the changes that could be made to support parent carers better? I think one of the first things is around the carer's allowance. Um, I've got a friend at the moment who only works term time. So during the term, she surpasses the weekly allowance that she's entitled to get. But she only works 30 weeks, 34 I think it is, out of the 52 and even though the government website says it can be taken over a year, no, it depends who you get when you're talking to them. And so every couple of months, she's having to apply for another two weeks, for a week, for six weeks. Um, and that's just crazy. That's more work for everybody and doesn't use any common sense. Um, with regard to employment, my issues around any piece of legislation is they're all well and good I mean you look at every piece of legislation that is supposed to protect our children and us and there's ministers for all of it but there isn't a single minister for accountability that becomes the parent carer role we are the ministers of accountability um, and so I think having people who are employed by the government, but within each area, or the ones who are accountable and make sure that things get done. So the parents who are constantly battling with the local authority or with the school and the hours that are wasted doing that battle, if, if parents didn't have that and they had that time, they could contribute to society in a different way and they could bring in an income and they could pay tax on it. And the benefits more than outweigh that the, the financial contribution they would bring to society would be exorbitantly more than it would cost to employ an accountability person. Um, and I think that is the one thing um, that drives me insane because it isn't... Is when I meet MPs and they go, what we need is this piece of legislation. You're like, no, I don't need another bit. I need you to make sure it gets done like it's supposed to. Don't leave it to me. Don't make me the person who's had to. I, I remember when I was first learning the legislation, it was before the Children and Families Act or anything like that. And I remember sitting there reading the Education Act and different things like that. And I could hear my husband in the garden playing with the children. 
And I got really upset because I remember thinking, I should be out there playing with my children. I shouldn't be spending six hours on a Sunday trying to understand what the law says. That should be somebody else's job. And I think as a parent carer, if we could get people who will hold everybody to account for us and not to tell them off every little misdemeanor because you know things go wrong we're all human things go wrong but it's about that the hours and the time and the effort and the energy it takes um that i think would make the biggest difference it's a great answer thank you finally debs i'm going to ask you to finish the sentence the biggest lesson raising a send child or in your case send children um has taught me is tomorrow is another day and no matter how hard or horrible it is you can get up and try again tomorrow those are words to live by that's all for this episode special thank you to my guest Debs Asplund you are now officially part of the Send Mums Career Club if you want to be part of the club too Join us on social media and share your story. You can find us at Send Mums Career on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn or use the hashtag Send Mums Career. We're new here in the podcast space and I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review and of course, come back next time.